This episode is brought to you by Happy High Achiever. It's hard to be happy in life when we're unhappy in our careers, and those of us who consistently and constantly compete with ourselves to be better, whose pride and very identities are inextricably tied to achieving, feel it especially hard when work stops going well. Who are we if we're failing to live up to the expectations we set for ourselves? If this scenario resonates with you, Happy High Achiever is here to help. Courtney Bryan, Happy High Achievers founder, started the company to provide support and resources for high-achieving employees who hit significant professional obstacles for the first time. Interested? Check out happyhighachiever.com backslash upzones to learn more, join the newsletter, and access a special Friends of the Pod rate on coaching packages. Our sponsor is also Horizon Books, serving Seattle's book-loving community for over 48 years with one of the best used book collections in Cascadia. Come by Horizon Books in Capitol Hill to check out books on the French Revolution, books on the upcoming American Revolution, books on how to draw stick figures. You name it, they've got it. Mention Upstones at the Register for a 10% discount today and through the rest of the year. Our sponsors are Horizon Books and Happy High Achiever, and this is up zones. Things are changing. Things are changing. You have to elect yourself daily. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. Happy Monday, everyone. We did it. 50 episodes. 50 freaking episodes. I can't believe it. We started this thing a little over a year ago, and this is now the end of the second season. We focused on a great deal in the first season on activists and organizers, and the second here on artists. We did a, a roundtable live with Henry and Messiah Jenkins, um, focusing on the arts in Seattle. We have spoken with and not, not exclusively artists, but some, some really great folks in and around the arts and creative spaces here in Seattle for the second season. 24 new episodes, uh, totaling 50. I can't believe we did 50 of these things, man. This isn't even my job. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. And, and one of the visions that I had here for this little show was to create a positive space, an up zone for community building. And there's, you know, certainly some debate that goes on in political spaces. And if we're trying to build a city, you're going to have to hash it out. But there's so many creative, positive, and ultimately, gosh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Productive ways that that's being framed in this city. Uh, Marcellus Turner, one of our guests over at Seattle Public Library, is reframing the issue of homelessness with his frequent readers. That's what he calls them. He's letting them in instead of devising all manner of schemes to push them out like so many other institutions are. You know, Gabriel Bello Diaz is working to make the STEM revolution that's powering Seattle's entire economic growth significantly more accessible to locals and communities of color. Katie Wilson of Seattle Transit Riders Union spoke passionately when she came on the show about the publicly funded bonus that big business employees get simply by virtue of having one of the most regressive tax systems in the country. Hugh Spitzer, Carrie Moon, both spoke eloquently from their own separate perspectives about the populism running through Seattle's DNA. They taught me some stuff there. I mean, everyone has. And there's a line running through not only this season, but really the first two seasons of this show. 
um, and that is the other future that our guest Milenko Matanovic expressed as a vision for what blossoms in a cultural imagination that pulls the entire culture together that allows uh, everyone from the arts to politics to engineering to science to business to kind of draft on one another's effort to get to this other future this next thing this better society and we're flailing a little bit in this country at that right now we're 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 hurting we're trying to get it right and we, we're not we're not getting it right but i will tell you a lot of folks here want to get it right and a lot of folks in this city are working and drafting on one another's efforts to create another future. And if there's one thing that I've noticed over the past two seasons, and certainly here rounding out to episode 50 and finishing up this second season, it's that the people in the city want change. I don't think the people in this city, single family homeowners that are putting their feet on the throat of change aside, I don't think the majority of this city the, the tech workers, the artists, everyone in between wants to be stuck in a scenario where housing is too expensive, where homelessness is rampant, where transit is not available for the wealthy, let alone the poor. Um, where is that imagined future? And we look to our leadership. And we look to Mayor Durkin. And I wonder what Mayor Durkin is doing to paint that picture. What is Mayor Durkin doing to create that other future that pulls us together and allows all of the talent and creativity to flourish in this city in the spirit and in the in the cause of something bigger than us and i have to say mayor durkin i don't know if she listens to this show i doubt it i'm not sure if anyone on our staff listens to this show i doubt it but if they are listening i've got 50 of the most special people doing things in this city for housing for transit for the poor, for artists. And if there is a through line that relates to you, it's that if you don't take action, bold, progressive action to solve the housing crisis in this city and make it possible for poor and lower middle income people to stay in this city and not be housing insecure, you will lose your job. Somebody will come along and beat you. Our guest this week, Milenko Matanovic, is the founder of the Pomegranate Center. He's the director of the Institute for Everyday Democracy. He's basically been a community advocate and organizer pushing to allow local communities and local political and civic organizations to drive the change they need and that they want to see in their organizations. Really interesting guest. And the funny thing about Milenko's career as an organizer is that he's actually in his second career, uh, the first having been one of the elite artists in the Eastern European scene from the 70s and 80s, um, and, and having moved into being an organizer, sharing his his intellect and sharing his passion and actually driving change in in cities uh, around the country. So Malenko is a really good voice, and I'm hoping you guys will listen in and like it and have that be kind of the last taste in your mouth for a while, because we are going to take a little break here as we wrap up the second season. We'll come back in a few months with a really killer third season which will focus around builders, both literal and metaphorical. But until then, check out Malenko. (laughs) 
So thank you for coming. I thank it. you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I read your I read your we'll call it a pamphlet, right? Pamphlet, yeah. Handbook, yeah. Handbook, right? Tell me, tell me about what went into. Why did you decide to even endeavor to do that? Practicing community engagement mm -hmm. and observing how it functions in our society and seeing how what a wasted opportunity it is. There are hundreds of meetings happening every week, every day, throughout the country. If not thousands. Hmm? If not thousands. If maybe. not thousands, yeah. And they are already, the structure is already wired into our collective behavior. Mm -hmm. But most of those meetings are uh, filled with habits that are not productive for the future. So people come and complain. Mm -hmm. Uh, they are anxious about the future, therefore they resist any change, whether it's a good change or not. They uh, blame the government, they polar, they separate themselves from the government. So, so there is this awkward dance happening between government and us, the people, mm -hmm. where we discuss some elements of the future. What should happen with a park, with a new hospital, with a library, all that is being discussed. But in my experience, it's not discussed productively. It's not a classroom where we learn from each other mm -hmm. or, be, or become thoughtful about the future. It's more a litany of complaints and blaming and yelling and shouting and being afraid of the future. Like a pitched and the, battle, almost. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it pits the government against us, the people. Now, not everyone behaves that way, but those who come sometimes derail the entire process for those who want to be creative. Mm -hmm. And that has to change. So I, I, I was writing about that because what happens to us between elections, right? We yeah. go to those meetings. That's, that's the that's avenue. Yeah. That's the engagement. Uh, and yet we, we do not extract the lessons learn, uh, that can be learned from that engagement. What brought you to this? Let's talk a little bit about uh, just where'd you grow up and what brought you to, to civic life generally? Former Yugoslavia, uh, what is now Slovenia. So Yugoslavia uh, went through uh, separation mm -hmm. of uh, an arranged marriage. Yeah, uh, right. and, and one of those countries that emerged from that process is Slovenia. Very small country, two, two million people. Mm -hmm. So that's so, about King County. It's about the equivalent of King County. Yeah, it's even smaller. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, something like that. Maybe you know the numbers. With its own language, mm -hmm. in its own history. So when I grew up, I grew up in a, a socialist country mm -hmm. with communist leaders. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not adverse to m most of the things that they did. They tried their best. But what I objected to intuitively was that everybody tried to tell me who I should be and how to behave. Mm -hmm. And I was just too rebellious for that. And because I did not like uh, violent rebellion, mm -hmm. I became an artist. And, and so uh, kind of saying, wait a minute, here I am. I'm Milenko. Uh, you can't tell me who I am, you know. And yeah. so I got involved with very avant-garde art making. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and uh, with a group of colleagues, and we became quite well known in Europe. So two years ago, we were featured at the Biennale of Venice, mm. for example, which is kind of big hoopla, right? International hoopla of arts. Right. But when I came to the United States, um, when was that? It was in the seventies, okay. and I came here following a lady. Mm. You know, uh, I did not come on a wave of uh, uh, running away from my past. I just kind of stumbled along here, ended up living here, uh, have created a family and, and have two wonderful children. So, but when I came here as an artist, the, the equation was almost the opposite of what I experienced in my youth which was that everybody exercised individuality and the right of individual thinking was so much in the opposite mm -hmm. way that, that the kind of the equation, what about us together? What about community? What about the common sense, the, common, the commons? Yeah. Where is that playing itself out? And it's missing in some aspects of our political discourse. Well, it's missing a lot. <laughs> it's missing yeah. even in, in uh, architecture. You know, mm. lots of people live in suburbia, and there is no metaphors for community life. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Uh, uh, so, and that was kind of a jarring for me coming from a, a central European city where everything is organized around public amenities. Mm -hmm. And because apartments where people live are small, you go, you spill out into cafes and pubs and parks and, and uh, to conduct a significant portion of your life. Mm -hmm. So when I came here, that was not happening, right? And, I, and, and so I started, long story, started a nonprofit in 86 to see if I can be useful, if my creative experience can be useful to, to kind of rebalance that. And out of that came work with community. So I offered myself to help others realize their goals rather than pursue my individual artistic career. So that was a kind of a radical shift as a result of this context that has shifted for Especially me. Especially as an artist who probably put a lot of uh, sweat, metaphorical sweat, into advancing your career in the earlier part of your, it, of your it, life. For seven years I did that, but that's it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I stepped away a little bit disappointed with... Uh, Kind of the art, the business aspect of mm -hmm. art, sure. art making. You know, the it's going to the Biennale of Venice. It's a little bit like going to a huge fashion show. It's it's that kind of a sense of, and you feel disconnect. I felt disconnect between real life and what was happening mm -hmm. under the auspices of uh, those exhibits. Mm -hmm. Well, I felt that uh, in my young years, uh, as we started to exhibit around Europe and. Uh, came to the Museum of Modern Art in 1970 in New York. Mm -hmm. um, so th I could not reconcile the emerging thinking that was happening in my infantile brain about what is going on in our world. Uh, the images of the Earth from the space were first projected. And that shook me up, you know. Mm -hmm. The world was changing. Mm -hmm. I could not think of myself in the same way. So... Uh, I decided pursuing different kind of a strategy for my life was important, exited my art world. So coming here then, I noticed the absence of some things that by that time 
I took for granted mm -hmm. growing up in Europe. And the city where I grew up was it's a fantastic architectural gem. Which city? It's called Ljubljana. Ljubljana. It's the capital of Slovenia. Slovenia. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, all the things that we are now trying to invent as cool non-profit endeavors, placemaking and local mm -hmm. food and walking and... Uh, it's very important to me. <laughs> right, but that was all a part of that right. tradition. Right. Uh, it existed fully blown uh, in those cities. And, and so I decided there's something that I can transfer from that experience into American experience. And the result was that we started to build gathering places for community. I should rephrase it, with communities, for them, not for my artistic career. Mm -hmm. And so a model emerged where we started by saying to asking people what needs to happen in this lot. They, they would come to us and say, drugs are being dealt uh, in a corner of a park. Uh, we don't feel safe here. Certainly we don't want our children to play here. Right. What can be done? And, and with their help, they told us what could be done. We helped design it, we, my nonprofit, and then they were asked to build alongside with us. So un unlike many other projects where artists do everything for the community or builders do or developers do, our model was based, we do it with you. Mm -hmm. Now along the way, we had to learn how to be very good facilitators, conveners of those processes. And in the last few years, so after doing this kind of work for 25 years, people started to be very curious about the process itself rather than the, the end result. And so now I've graduated from building things uh, to, to training others and mentoring others how to do community-based projects, how to do collaborative projects, uh, so that at the end there are lots of people who say, this is mine, rather than look what a great project Milenko did. Yeah, That's yeah. the difference. Yeah, yeah. And so, so in the process and in the end result, we started to examine what it takes for people to work together across their differences, yeah. which is kind of, uh, uh, these days, uh, it's one of the big questions, yeah. isn't it? That's, that's so true. so that's why I'm exploring. You asked me about the book. Yeah. That's why I wrote it, because yeah. I felt maybe we have something to offer to this discourse that is going on now in our democracy mm -hmm. about uh, the value of differences, about uh, some ways to, uh, to achieve uh, a better everyday democracy, not just voting democracy, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. everyday democracy because we're shaping the future of our cities, of our towns, of our country, of our states, of our world. And we better be thoughtful because the world and the country and the economy and the, everything is telling us, pay attention right now. Mm -hmm. Things are changing. Mm -hmm. And so the question then is, can that change be helped rather than resisted? What about here in Seattle? What, is, what, do, you, what do you see as the number one priority in terms of Reshifting our discourse toward well, more productive. I, mm -hmm. I, I I happen to believe, and that's biased from my growing up in in a traditional city, mm -hmm. European city, which high density mm -hmm. uh, walk walkability. We didn't have cars, you know. So so that I understand that there are ways to design uh, our our cities differently. Many Americans do not know that. Mm -hmm. So so 
the, what we have is the way to do it. So I, I think part of what I see is that the, the centers of American cities are improving, but the periphery, the edges, is a real problem, mm -hmm. environmentally, socially. So if we are going to take uh, environmental issues seriously, the scientists are now saying, you know, we have about 12 years to reduce carbon uh, in the air. <coughs> We're still building in a way that requires cars into the future. If we take those things seriously, we would start building very, very differently. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I think the biggest problem is uh, imaginational. It's that we do not have good imagination about what could happen, so we cling to what has happened over since the last Second World War, where cars kind of blossom into necessity mm -hmm. for people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and where uh, the privilege of living away from others uh, uh, it, it was made possible, right. right? In traditional societies, that's not possible because you don't have resources of cheap land, and that land would be used for agriculture or for nature or water retention, whatnot. Yeah. So we spilled over into those things, and now uh, the feedback from from those systems is coming back through flooding, through through climate change, through through, through social inequities, through people who are feel lonely, all, all that. Right. Those are all hundreds of signals that are telling us we should take this seriously. That's that's Margaret Mead saying petroleum is at the heart of almost every social uh, ill, uh, not uh, not just literally in that it pollutes, but also more figuratively in that it allows us to move these great distances away from one another right. uh, without having to interact with one another. So I, I, I think, you know, I don't know how you, Ian, how you think about that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're, you've given enough thought to these ideas. But as I think about the future of the cities, I, I hope that some courageous leadership will emerge that will almost need to go through, through something like truth and reconciliation process. Yeah, yeah. That uh, right now we allow the instincts of the familiar to drive the process. So, so think about all the meetings coming back to public meetings yeah. where some change wants to occur. And basically what we get from us, the people, is pushback. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and that to me says I don't have the imagination to negotiate the risk right. of change, right? So I I settle back only on what I know right. and try to protect it. But from historic point of view, or from a point of view of someone like myself, I'm kind of a folksy anthropologist because I know other countries, right? Yeah. I see that this way of being has become so dysfunctional and so dangerous that we really need to grasp that. So I think, you know, I could imagine, uh, and here is where my bias for community, earnest community engagement comes in. It would be possible maybe to arrange for some uh, in-depth conversations that have significant political and other leaders behind that but involve as many people as possible in those conversations to ask the question, what ought to happen here? And then work from that imagination backward and say, is this development aligned with that or not? And have the courage to say, no, we need to re revisit that. Because we, the, the habits are still making us do things that are problems, yeah. will continue to be problems. They will continue. Yeah. And, and so where does hope come 
from from that equation well to me as i think about it we need to reimagine it and then have courage to 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 do what basically the leadership in new zealand did in the last week yeah. very quickly mm -hmm. change a disaster into solution and and here we're piddling forever and uh, and we cannot quite grasp it even in a very progressive city like seattle right. uh, so you know, psychologists would say we we are driving ourselves mad by our cars yeah. uh, right now. That there that, and many people do not have the imagination of uh, a land use where cars can still exist but are not needed. If we just implemented that as a yeah. guiding principle, yeah. we would be better off, right? And then, uh, but. But when I talk with my American friends about that in different community situations, they would kind of say, oh, Milenko, that's, you don't understand us Americans. We cannot do that, you know? Mm -hmm. it, it's like I was crossing the line that became so sacred yeah. uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, I had to back away in many instances. Right. Oh, our city manager does not want to do that. Right. And hence the discussion. Yeah. So. But that sounds like it's not just a question about engagement or everyday democracy. It actually sounds like there's a, a, a reconditioning that needs to happen. And that, that has an almost Orwellian construct, so I don't want to say the wrong thing. But it really does seem like Americans need to kind of relearn how yeah, to organize so. ourselves socially, right? And how to organize ourselves ge ge geographically. You know, uh, I was influenced by a book uh, by a Dutch historian Fred Pollack called The Image of the Future. Have you ever bumped into that? No, sir. Well, the 50s or 60s. Mm -hmm. And the thesis is that in a flowering society, in a flowering culture, there's something that pulls us towards a potential, the image of the future, which he, Fred Pollack, called the other future. It's not just better today. There's something compelling that pulls us forward. Mm. And then extraordinary things happen. And I believe um, the, the one of the reasons why they happen is that lots of people start kind of walking in the same direction. Uh, and there is an efficiency of efforts. Mm -hmm. there is a, uh, it's like we start drafting on each other efforts, right. like bicyclists or geese. Mm -hmm. uh, there is uh, some efficiency, cultural efficiency happens because of that alignment. We are all going to the, towards the same kind of a point on the horizon. That's the power of the image of the future. In that context then, when I look at our times, everybody creates their own image of the future based on their, their uh, uh, political, religious, ideological preferences. And we argue constantly about which one is powerful, more powerful. Than one. And I think, so coming back to what maybe American cities can do in Seattle, kind of say all of us need to shape something that, in, that is the answer to the question, what really wants to happen here? What ought to happen? What not what I would like for myself? Which is a very different exercise. And Fred Pollack would say that in historical moments you would witness some extraordinary circumstances with such where such flowering happened. Mm. You know, I Italian Renaissance, I come from that part of the world, you know, and studied that was one of those moments where suddenly uh, a medieval 
imagination was replaced by much more humanistic imagination. Mm -hmm. and, and it started with a few people, but then artists picked it up and then entrepreneurs uh, jumped into it and then politicians jumped into it. And it was kind of a happy uh, shift where uh, suddenly, it doesn't happen overnight, but suddenly over decades, a different world emerged. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Well, maybe something like that needs to happen now, right? right? Uh, well, we have 12 years to get it done. And we, we don't <laughs> have decades yet. Well, and that's part of the t interesting uh, element of our time is that this kind of work cannot be done superficially and quickly. Yeah. You know, uh, I've been reading about the Boeing airplanes, and mm -hmm. one of the things that I've been reading about with this disasters that happened is that they were in, in competition with other manufacturers of airplanes. So there was an incentive to complete it faster, and mm. they skipped some, some steps along the way that then resulted in, in failures. You know, so our time is a little bit like that. Yeah. How to do it quickly, but not sacrifice the the depth of, of what needs to happen. That's a, an amazingly beautiful challenge if yeah. you think about uh, it. Yeah. You know? I mean, if we rise to it. It's one of the reasons that I I, I try to be involved here. Uh, I try to get people who are affecting that change in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And, and dra I love the term drafting, right? The hope that we can all start to draft together. In the same direction, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and it affects just about everything. It's an mm -hmm. issue of health, it's issue of, of uh, land use, of environment, of equity, of justice. It's the issue of uh, the arts and beauty and aesthetics, and it's the issue of, of education. All that plays itself out now. I think part of the problem that we have is that every group tries to solve the the system, uh, change the system from their singular perspective, and th that equation doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, so somewhere along the line, we need to look at the system itself that causes all these things down the line. We will not solve it by correct, uh, just inviting walkability. Yeah. While we yeah. we continue to build dysfunctional places right. where nobody would want to walk, you know, so, so we need to look at this comprehensively. I think that opportunity is knocking on us collectively. Where does the leadership come from? You, you're here, you are in a, in a bookstore. I'm, I was connected uh, with a small nonprofit, Pomegranate Center, that now right. has new leadership. So I, I'm kind of have more time to think about these issues. Tell me about Pomegranate Center. Well, it's a, a small nonprofit. Right now, it's uh, me, one senior citizen, and one to five young ladies mm -hmm. who are all mothers. Mm -hmm. And uh, my daughter is one of those. Her okay. name is Katya, and she's now the CEO of the organization. So, as I told you, we, we built, physically built, we really got dirty in specific projects. We rolled out up our sleeves and we built 60 physical spaces mm -hmm. uh, through our history. But now we are focusing on entirely uh, on training, how to transfer, how mm -hmm. to graft this experience onto other systems. So we're working with a, a museum in, in, in Portland, Oregon. We are working with a library system, with a health uh, organization, with a King County agency. 
uh, and kind of uh, looking at how those systems can can become more collaborative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and col collaboration for us is kind of a uh, it's square one for what needs to happen. It's one of the ways to talk about these different dance steps. Mm -hmm. The music mm -hmm. has changed. The <laughs> dance so steps now we need to start dancing differently. That's yeah. a really good the, you model. Know, yeah. And it seems to me, uh, I don't know if you agree with that, but we live in times where we know that the community, uh, the music has changed. Mm -hmm. But in, many of us still insist on old dance steps. So mm -hmm. you have this connect, disconnect because bef between what is already going on and how we are dealing with uh -huh. it. Uh, uh -huh. And it's kind of, you know, it's strange and pathological and wonderfully insane. Uh, and also human. And, and it's human, yeah. It's just that it's now playing itself on a scale that is much bigger than we are accustomed to. That's right. Well, that would lead me to, you know, something we do for every episode of the show, which is we like to end the conversation with just a brief uh, segment that we call If You Care About you should. So, with respect to everything that you've just said, go ahead and fill in the blanks. If you care about the future that is owned by us, the people, and not just few, take collaboration seriously. Let down your guard a little, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you're n none of us knows everything. Mm -hmm. uh, if I start with the position that I know something, uh, I'm in charge of something I know something but that in the larger scheme of thing is tiny little fraction of knowledge and and to understand the systems which are com complex accumulations of issues and knowledge and ideas to even begin to comprehend the complexity of those systems I need to know what you know mm -hmm. and you, the two of us need to know what somebody else knows mm -hmm. and so on and so on so if we if you care about the future of our world and you care that that future will be owned by us rather than by a few, then that collaboration, that claiming that I'm really smart in some ways, but I'm really ignorant in many more ways. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the foundation from which we can start conversations. Yeah, great. Milenko, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, This was thank wonderful. You. Yeah, Thank well, you. That was Milenko Matanovich. Check his organization, the Pomegranate Center, out at www.pomegranate.org. As always, all music provided by the Subcons. Dope opening poetry slam sample by Anthony McPherson. All sound by Naboo with an assist from me. Our sponsors have been Horizon Books, all two years and 50 episodes, and Happy High Achiever. You can check them out at happyhighachiever.com backslash upzones. My favorite. I'm your host, Ian Martinez. This has been a Cascadia Underground production. And I'll see you in a couple months. Viva Cuba!